0: Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause, where we talk about this time of life, mind, body, and spirit. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen. Each week, I'm joined by top professionals dropping their tips and advice. Remember, episodes drop every Tuesday. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a beat. And if you like this podcast, please rate and review it. Thank you, because this helps others to find the show. You can check out our website, Find out which episodes are coming up and get the latest blogger advice by going to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com and get ready to thrive, not just survive, through perimenopause and beyond. Welcome to another episode of Thriving Through Menopause. I'm Carissa Christiansen, and today I have a really great treat for you. This is the first episode of season four of the podcast. And those of you who did listen to the trailer will know that we are turning the spotlight on the psychosocial side of menopause because we can talk about bodies till we're blue in the face. But if we don't look at the other parts of this life, then nothing really changes for us and for the young generation coming behind us. And so I am delighted that my guest today is Dr. Amanda Hansen. She's a clinical psychologist turned transformational life coach. She is working with revolutionizing midlife, really helping women really reframe and change what it means to be the other side of 40. I'm excited. I've been on her podcast. We've done things together. Amanda, it is fantastic to have you joining us on Thriving Through Menopause. Thank you so
1: much, Clarissa. I have to say in my year of having my podcast, one of my favorite episodes was when you were the guest on mine. And I was shocked at how deeply powerful and touched I was. A few times I was like trying to speak and I was very emotional because I think it's rare that I find myself in a conversation where someone so deeply gets and believes and wants something better for women at this time of their life and beyond. And so to have had that connection was really powerful for me. So I'm so excited to now be honorary guest here on your podcast.
0: That is fantastic. I love that. I think we just can have deep and transformational changes at this time, can't we, Amanda? Yes. And it's so hopeful these
1: conversations show us what's possible. I had a client leave a message today and she is in her mid sixties. And she said, I'm going back to college. And it was just, even my hair follicles, like everything on my body just stood on end. I felt this electricity shooting through me, the excitement and her voice and the possibility, because I think somewhere along the way, we forget to dream we reach a certain phase of life and it's almost as if we believe the dreaming and the
0: becoming is reserved for the youth. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think that we're told and the narrative, particularly in menopause and those of you who are my listeners here will know, is that it's about, they talk about deficiency. And yeah. that is a terrible word to use about women who are going through perimenopause and beyond as if, There's something wrong with us. Mm, mm. Exactly. And I think
1: that it is, I love that this next series that you're doing is on the psychosocial aspects as well, because I agree with you. Of course, we have to have the conversations about the body and the hormones and what's happening and understanding the brain functioning uh, and the bodily functioning. But I have found that those symptoms can be exacerbated if the psychosocial piece, emotional wellness and health, is not also online and being spoken about and harnessed, and and really new expectations, I think, being set. Because if we're moving with the expectations of deficiency, the best years are now over. Everything is downhill from here. I missed my opportunity. If we're moving forward with that mental mindset. I actually believe that the symptoms will feel worse, will be even more exacerbated by that kind of a mindset.
0: Yeah, well, I think that's a fear mindset. And I mean, you're a psychologist, you know, fear and shame are, well, they're one and the same. They're deeply rooted and they put us in fight, flight, freeze mode.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's part of why the idea of revolutionizing midlife is so important to me, to create new narratives. It's almost like building something from scratch. And it takes a while for people to get on board with this new way of being and thinking and languaging, because it's almost as if it feels too good to be true, that we could be so excited for this next chapter. Because so much of the culture and the world and the advertising is
0: telling us that we should be afraid. Yes. And I think when you say we should be afraid, it's also about setting kind of new stereotypes for aging. What, what are you observing in that space?
1: Yes, it's so true. I mean, the new stereotypes, I have clients who are, I have a woman, actually a client of mine who, again, is in her mid-60s. Her marriage ended a couple of years ago, and she, she experienced it almost like it was a death. Because in her mind, it was the marriage and the children, and then the retirement years. And when he had different plans about how he wanted to spend that time with a different woman, she thought that that meant her life was then over. Well, after working together, she came to this place of reimagining what her life could be in companionship with someone else. And now she is having the most exquisite soulful, erotic, beautiful sex of her life. And she said to me, I can't believe that I may have left this lifetime and never had that experience because that is never what it was like with my husband. It was very transactional. So here, like opening her mind to say, yes, like, where is it written that at a certain age, you can't start dating again? And so going into this mindset of like, oh my gosh, I have like grandchildren and now I'm like experiencing the most unbelievable orgasms of my life. I couldn't
0: have imagined it would
1: happen like this.
0: It's just incredible. I love that. I'm just like goose bumpy here and And that because we are, or we have this, you know, not just deficiency, but decline, decrepitness. You've got to have this medication or you're going to fall apart. There's something wrong with you. Dating is very toxic. Well, dating is very toxic. We've had lots of conversations up here about toxic <laughs> dating. But we have that idea that we can't meet someone amazing. We can't have amazing sex. We can't have the relationship we want because there's some number attached to it. Right
1: and I think if we're moving in the world with I can't have it because I'm this age or I can't have it because I would not be considered appealing in a room full of women that could be younger than me if that's the lens through which we are moving in the world I really deeply believe that's the lens through which we will be viewed because it's energy but if you walk into a room and you are so in the energy of what a privilege your presence is in that room that is so magnetic. That is the energy that people are attracted to. And so I'm of the belief and a lot of the work I do with my clients is how do you want to feel? And then we work on, okay, here's how you want to feel. Okay, fantastic. Now, what behaviors Lifestyle changes do we need to make to get you to that feeling? So we look at mindset. We look at the ways that they are showing up in the world. We look at nutrition. We look at like the whole aspect. And I also tell women a lot of the work is about lead yourself first in what it is you want to feel. You want to feel sexy. You want to feel like the most interesting woman in the room. You want to feel powerful. You want to feel sensual. We don't wait for someone to create that feeling for us. We create it. We lead with it. Then that is how our energetic match finds us.
0: Exactly. Because
1: we're already in that energy. There's seven and a half billion people in the world. (laughs) Yeah. There's endless amounts of people to meet and match with. Exactly.
0: And I think also we're just showing up as ourselves. Yeah, it's the
1: most beautiful frequency. You know, I remember about four years ago when I started letting my hair go gray, I was in Tulum for a friend's birthday and women had come from all over the country and they were saying to me, a couple of them who were divorced were saying to me, oh, well, it's easy for you to let your hair go gray because you're married. And I said, oh, it has nothing to do with being married or not. For me, if I got divorced, I would still have my gray hair. Because for me, if I am at a party, if I'm at an event, if I'm in the world and someone looks across the way and says, oh, she's old, I would never be interested in dating someone who perceived me with that kind of a label. But if there's someone who sees me from across the room and says, wow, that's powerful. That's ownership. That's authenticity. I want to know her then I will energetically match with that person most likely, at least in a conversation. And so I'm not going to go around portraying myself to be something I'm not or appear younger than I am because I'd only then attract someone who would always expect that standard. And that's not something I'm interested in doing.
0: No, no, exactly. And then you'd be the sort of person that person will give you over the minute you got a bit mm-hmm. older and keep on downgrading, which is, of course, what we see some men doing. But yes. but grey has an interesting one because, you know, my hair's now gone grey, but it doesn't go grey. So how, how the hell knows when I'm in my six? <laughs> I just let it be. But but there is... um kind of two streams. I mean, women women who are dyeing their hair till come kingdom come. And then there's others who become these gray influencers with these kind of amazing gray locks. And they look great, but they don't look like anyone else either.
1: Right. Right. It's so true. It's really an unusual space to be. And I can't help but feel revolutionary in and of that, like just walking into spaces. I think there are those of us who are doing it in a way that Our simple presence in allowing the age to show, whether on the face or the hands or the neck or the hair, I feel like that, for me, the no hiding, for me personally, feels like my own personal revolution. And that is really luxurious for me because I decided to make it be that way. If I was in the mindset of like, this is horrible, this is scary, oh my gosh, tight grip, Judging every little thing that showed up on my body or the way things are changing, then I would experience it as lack or deficiency. But I see the humanity in front of the mirror. I see what's happening, and I'm honoring every morning this woman's life, this woman's legacy that is changing right in front of me. And that, to me, it really is a very holy process for me.
0: Yeah, I can I can fully concur with that. And I've lived with the pressure. As I no doubt you have to, you live in Florida. I lived, you know, many years in Sydney. The standards externally that are set by marketing, by pressure from media, is immense to not age.
1: Oh, it is really everywhere, and I have women. I'm in conversations about this on the daily, whether it's with clients on social media, different podcasts like this. And I'm really shifting my stance on this. I think for a long time, of course, absolutely. The patriarchal standards is how we got here. Absolutely. It's how the makeup companies and the Botox companies and all of that make their money. Of course, of course, through the marketing and marketing towards our fear. But I'm really shifting my stance lately because I talk so much with my clients, regardless of the situation we're working on in their lives, about having radical self-responsibility. And I started to hear myself over and over again. I'm like, well, wait a minute, Amanda. Why don't we shift the conversation to radical self-responsibility around aging as well? Because I feel like it really is easy to point the finger all the time right? Like, well, it's the patriarchy. It's the men dating the younger women. We're trying to keep up. But that only continues if we keep opening our pocketbooks. But if we all decide, absolutely not, I'm done, then this, eventually the standard will change because there will be a realization like, okay, well, I guess we can't sell to them in the fear of aging because they're not paying for that. They're not falling for that one anymore. They're actually insulted by that.
0: Yeah. And, it, and I think it's not happening yet. I mean, I'm seeing in the menopause world the billions of dollars. I think the latest figure was $15 billion just marketing menopause aging fear in skincare companies getting on board. And I'm thinking, wow. You know, yes, we have issues and I'm well aware, I've talked to lots of skincare professionals and dermatologists, there are issues. Yes, it's not great to get rosacea and acne in the middle of your menopause. It's pretty vile, but we can do so much better than being pushed into spending double. We're already struggling with the pink tax on everything we do. Why do that on skin as well and beauty?
1: Absolutely. And I think it's why that statistic that shows that it's going to be 257 years before women catch up to men, financial investment, capital, power, because we continue to play into these systems that drain our finances, that keep us from being able to do bigger things with our lives or build businesses or, you know, have legacy money to pass down because we are running around fear-based, like opening our wallets around every corner, seeing if this tincture or this hormone or this medication or this cream will be the cure. And at the end, for me, the I really strongly hold the belief that the cure is in your soul. Nine times out of 10, everything you're searching for is within your soul and in your mindset. And it takes work. It takes work to do that shifting. But my gosh, the benefits and the rewards are intoxicating. <laughs> I'm so free. I'm so free. Yeah.
0: I, I feel the same. I share that sense of being off this treadmill. I mean, the cost of, I mean, Botox. I mean, I know I've had it a few times. And I really was like, when we're doing this, the cost is astronomical. I'm a single mother. I can't afford this all the time. And, you know, I own my lines, but, but the shit, you know, you're shelling out hundreds of Dollars every couple of months. Just well, that's the other thing, Clarissa. I can't get behind the idea that it's every few months.
1: Like I'm terrified of needles anyway, so that would never work for me. I'm like such a baby, but I can't believe that it is signing up for something that just continues and continues and continues. The money, the time, the energy. Like I can't even fathom. I, I making that level of commitment and for
0: what? Well, for somebody else, I think a lot of the time it's for the outward part of ourselves. This isn't about what I need. I mean, if you think about it, you are listeners, you're ejecting a lethal toxin a few millimeters from your brain. And, and that, I mean, I, you know, I know what botulinum can do. I it can kill you. So why yeah. are we doing this? And things go wrong. I've seen so many women I've worked with who suddenly they're a bit skew. Uh-huh. And some girl came in and she said to me, oh, I'm in real pain today. And I said, Why? She said, Well, I've had my eyebrows eye and liner tattooed. And I went, You did what? She <laughs> did what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, the thought of anybody tattooing anywhere near my eye would be horrific. But she clearly thought that she needed to fix her eyebrows and eyeliner and everything so that it was perfect all the time. It's the never enoughness. And
1: I I think about this all the time when women say, well, I do it because it makes me feel good. And I think we've sold a lot of the belief system that this is the new form of empowerment, that this is actually feminism. Again, what an incredible marketing job that they have done to make women believe that this is empowerment, when in fact, I feel like it's the complete opposite from it. But I always like to ask my clients to consider if you lived on some remote island and you've never heard of any of these things, you would be having a different experience of aging and how you're moving through the world if you lived on some remote island where everybody was just in the natural essence of aging. It's because we are steeped in this money-making marketing machine around aging that we think that this is something we're doing for ourselves, that we've been convinced of that. Where, where women will like die on the vine for believing that this is her individual choice and empowerment. And I can't help but wonder, well, would you really be doing that, though, if you were in a different part of the world or
0: culture where it was not celebrated or talked about or revered? I bet not. No, I bet not. So, I mean, the power of marketing, that's what it is. I mean, they employ psychologists and neuroscientists like you and me to do their marketing jobs for them, because they know how to tap into our deepest emotions. And when we don't have, as you said, radical self-responsibility, we, we pull to the fear, we can't help that. That's the brain we're born with, you know, and it, and it just goes, oh my God, I need to do this because I'm going to be isolated, excluded, those deep seated human emotions that we could never express on a conscious level.
1: No. And I agree with you. I really think it's the fear. The most underlying deepest fear is the fear of not being loved. Right. And I think it's what causes many women to make these decisions. And I think, wow, can you imagine the freedom if women love themselves enough to choose their natural self? And I can't imagine a woman would ever deny wanting to be loved deeply and profoundly just as she is. Being a woman who's experiencing that is powerful. And I can't imagine a woman would rather have to have a million maintenance appointments to feel safe and loved as opposed to, I look at my husband who is just so organically, naturally aging, not even thinking twice about it. And to be doing it next to him, people are shocked. It's like, fascinating, this double standard in aging that he's not expected to look forever young and youthful, but somehow I am. And so I think it's really interesting when people see us in the world, because I've even had people tell me I look older than him. Mind you, he's six years older than me. And I say to them, oh, I can understand why you would say that because you're not used to seeing women who are almost 50 years old with lines and sunspots and wrinkles and gray hair. I can understand why you would think I'm older. Because we automatically assume that if you're not looking really, you know, like the tight face and the all the signs of youth, that I would. The assumption is that I'm older than him,
0: which I think is so fascinating. Yeah, it's it is absolutely fascinating. I mean, that is obviously quite an Anglo approach. I see that in the U.S. and the. Yes, but the thing that that is that these ideas travel. I mean, I, I, you know, I was here as a child in Sweden and I never would have seen my aunt or my grandmother, you know, somebody who had a face-to-face, they sort of went, mm, you know, what, what's going on with her? But I've seen it seeping in here. I've seen women become less bold, uh, become very obsessed about their weight. That's a big thing here. Oh my God, they're obsessed about being thin in a in a way that's really quite unhealthy. This working out to be thinner and stronger the whole time, and so it doesn't always manifest itself in quite the same way. But there certainly has been in the street advertising for this botox clinic and that clinic, and that's come in through social and through the the whole TV channels. And again, this power of marketing and media changing innate beauty standards.
1: Yes, you're exactly, that's exactly what's happening is that unconscious, although it seems pretty conscious and right in our faces, but those subliminal, like we're just going to have it everywhere that women travel and walk and use public transportation. We're just going to infiltrate places and spaces so that they're constantly getting that message that tells them there's a
0: solution.
1: All you have to do is take this, or buy this, or inject this. There's a
0: solution. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's and really I, intense. It's, it's be, and it's been it's been quite interesting for me to observe that from the outside in and think, "Ooh, what just happened here? We were supposed to be the most equal women in the world. We didn't care about these things." But yes, there are lots of really strong older women still. But you see it seeping through this thing with lips and this extreme eyelashes among young women. I'm like, oh, that's an interesting thing. And then they suddenly all have it. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, this is the newest beauty standard. But it, but it starts there. It starts young.
1: Yeah. Oh, it starts so young. I have a daughter who's 19 in college and it's happening with a lot of people she knows. And my son in college, same. It's like he's you know, they're really astounded at how it's become almost the norm where girls are, their mothers are taking them for their birthday or for their 21st birthday to get their lips done, to get fillers in their cheeks, to, you know, sculpt their chins. It's really, to me, heartbreaking, particularly when a mother is leading that narrative for her daughter. Because I just don't know where where the arrival point is. You know, I know a woman who owns a med spa and she says to me, You know, I think what people have to understand is once they start, it's a pretty hard train to get off of because you're stretching the skin, especially with fillers, Mm -hmm. you're stretching the skin and the atrophy that happens. And then to just stop, everything is so overstretched, it will become more saggy.
0: Yeah. Oh, that is, that is just, it it just makes me go cold. I mean, obviously I don't have a daughter, so I'm maybe less... Um, close to that on a personal level, but it is terrible. I watched the dub adverts. I don't know if you've seen them, the mother-daughter ones. My blood ran cold when I watched what younger women are exposed to on social media that we don't know because we're not getting fed the same stream as they are about what it looks like to be accepted. Yes. That's horrible.
1: Yeah, it's really true. I love, Dove has done such a great job over the last two decades of highlighting and bringing the pain uh, of never enoughness to the big screen for people to really have an experience and a moment with what it feels like for women. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed.
0: So what does radical self-responsibility look like for a woman?
1: It really is her deciding. And for me, it's, it comes up in like either the quietest of hours with your journal. Or again, I think the equalizer of equalizers is, in truth, is getting in the middle of nature without your phone alone. And in those spaces, whether with a warm cup of tea and your journal or walking alone in nature and really witnessing how you too are so much a part of this nature is this understanding of like, who do I, and I have so many journal prompts around this. I'm running uh, an eight week program right now where I have women asking themselves, where did you learn about what it means to be a woman in midlife? what stories were you told? How did you observe women come into aging? What do you believe it means to be an acceptable woman in midlife? So I think it starts with questioning how we got to the mindset we have right now, and then standing back and saying, do I actually believe that? Do I believe, because I watched my grandmothers until the day they died, Never missed their Friday appointments to get their hair colored at the salon, not ever. My mother, who's in like 75 now, colors her hair every two weeks, will go to her grave with it, has even dealt with a breast cancer and a double mastectomy. And I said, Mom, is it possible now you will consider stopping putting these toxic chemicals on your scalp? And for her, no. I mean, for me, it's almost unfathomable that you have gone through cancer and you're still saying that the hair dye is important. Again, it's it's just a, a very different way of thinking, right? So it's like having this radical self-responsibility to question who you want to be in the world as a woman. And it's fascinating when clients do this, they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how automatic pilot I was living with so many of these things in my life. I was not even questioning the things I was doing. I was just doing them because it's what I believed I needed to do. So radical self-responsibility is when we really start peeling back and uncovering the layers by which we have been living and then asking ourselves, is that really what I want for myself? Is that really, truly what I believe? Is it possible there's a more beautiful way? And then rewriting
0: that and living from that space. That is powerful and beautiful because I think reflecting and standing back is the only way we can change ourselves because no one can actually do it for us. We can be prompted as we are with the work you're doing, but we have to do the work ourselves, right?
1: We really do. We really do. And it's it can be hard and it's going to be different for every single woman. Every woman will land in a place that feels most true for her. But I think it's important to at least peel back and examine the ways that we are assuming we need to be women in midlife and beyond and, and learning more about, well, where did that come from? Why did I decide to believe that? Does, is it true for me?
0: Yeah and then taking the steps to make those necessary changes.
1: Yes, and I think then the big part becomes having an incredibly aligned support system who is also on similar paths because it's so much more fun and it's a lot easier and more contagious to stay in that vibe and energy with women who are already doing that and and aging in a way that aligns with you. So surrounding myself with women who are in similar belief systems is a non-negotiable for me.
0: Those are so beautiful. And we can talk about this endlessly, but I know you've got wonderful challenges and programs going, and I'd love you to share some of those, Amanda, with my listeners.
1: Sure, thank you so much. I I am in the midst of a program right now that is gonna be turned into a self-study program called the Queen's Inauguration. And it really is moving out of the energy of living like a baby princess slash victim in all aspects, whether relationally, aging, purpose in life, career, all of that. So I really take this eight-week journey with women and help them kind of bridge that space from baby princess to the queen of her life. And working with that archetype is so elegant and so powerful, especially in a world where we have been told all these other things about like, oh, you're haggard and you're an old maid. And I'm like, oh no, sisters, this is your queen era. And so how do we like begin to live in all aspects of our life as queen? So there's that program. Then I also do Every six months, I have the doors open to a six-month mastermind where I take 10 women. I have many different pods, but 10 women in each pod through a really powerful, in-depth journey where it's the travel from baby princess to queen, but in a way that is deeply, deeply supportive and nourishing. And then it culminates with all of the women gathering for a retreat. So it's really being able to take all of those principles and look at them in real time in their lives over the course of six months to create such fundamental change. That begins October 11th and will be a six month, very powerful.
0: We're putting all your links into the show notes Uh, because I think women should definitely be looking at this and if this is the journey they want to go on, if they want to take more radical responsibility in their lives, then I would love to encourage you, my listeners, to get on board with this. Mm, Thank you
1: so much, Closa, for the support. And I love that we all offer such different and beautiful necessary resources to support this time for a woman's life. Because it's one thing for you and I to come on and have these podcasts and talk about it. But then I think it's important to say, and here are support systems. Here are ways. Here are groups. Here are things that you can get involved in that can really help support these lifestyles and new mindsets.
0: Yeah. Because we'd say this isn't the easiest journey you'll ever go on and we cannot do it alone. Exactly. It has been my pleasure having you on the show and just sharing insights and thoughts that are so powerful. Thank you for your time and thank you for your energy in this space. Thank you so
1: much, Clarissa, and thank you for having me as a guest and for all the incredible work you're doing in the world and the conversations that you're bringing to the forefront. So powerful. Thank
0: you. Thank you for listening to Thriving Through Menopause. If you like this podcast episode, please hop over to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com, and rate and review it. And thank you if you do that because it helps others to find the show. Want more news and views on perimenopause and menopause? Then sign up to my weekly newsletter, Heart of Menopause, over on Substack. Thank you once again for listening and see you next week for another guest interview helping you to thrive through menopause.